In 2018, the Wealth Standard Podcast broke down the year into three seasons, each focusing on a principle from the inspired works of philosopher John Locke, specifically his philosophy on life, liberty, and property. In 2019, we progressed from principle to the ideal environment for building wealth and achieving prosperity. The theme was laissez-faire capitalism. For season two, it continues. The theme is entrepreneurship and intrapreneurship and how you apply the principles and environment to the individual. The guests ranging from economists to entrepreneurs to political influencers, authors, and more will teach you how to take your life to the next level. Now, on to the next episode. Okay, it's my pleasure to welcome uh, George Foreman III, and his nickname is Monk, mainly due to his brothers having the same name as him. So it's awesome to have him on. I'm, I'm really looking forward to this interview. So Monk, thanks for joining us. No, glad to be with you. Thanks for having me. Listen, I thought I, you know, the initial question I had as I was you know, preparing for this, and your background and experience is, is definitely unique in how it applies to the business world, the entrepreneurial world. Why has fighting been so popular from an entertainment standpoint for, I mean, probably thousands of years, whether it's boxing, MMA, wrestling, martial arts, ice hockey, I guess you can throw in that as well. What are your thoughts around that? You know what? I think, and I'm sure I'm going to feel like I put my foot in my mouth on this one, but I just think most things that people are afraid of, but at the same time would love to not be afraid of, yeah. is entertaining. And I think when you get a chance to observe others who are aligned with your morals and standards succeeding doing those things, it allows you to experience them vicariously. Sometimes we enjoy hating that person too, but I think being able to experience the rush, the ups and downs through someone you identify with, doing something that you're terrified you wish you could do, I just don't think that ever gets old. And I think fighting is one of those things that there's something when done properly and by the rules, especially with the sport, there's something honorable about it. You know, there's probably a better word to use that lends itself to, you know, that's why it's a sport, you know, and not something that's illegal um, in most states. So I think that's it. I think, you know, there's point in a good fight. There's points where everybody can relate. Backs against the wall. You got knocked down. You get back up. You look the guy or the gal across from you and say, you're going to get it, you know? Or you, you want to run, you're intimidated, you have a bad shake half the fight, and you turn around and you have what we call a comeback. There's rules. There's TKO, technical knockout. Or sometimes you break the rules and you lose because of that. You can have the judges on your side, the referee on your side. You got to have good advisors and people to put you back together when you mess up. I think all these things also resonate with culture, business culture, entrepreneurship culture, sports culture in general. So there's a lot of layers we could peel back, but if nothing else, it's the thrill of observing something that we're, we're terrified but would love to do. Yeah, that's, no, that's, I love your response. I mean, I look at what I would say gives a person a rush both from a growth standpoint, but also a rush from a fear standpoint. They, it seems like it's two ends of a spectrum. And a fight is one of those times when there's going to be both, right? There's yeah. going to be what people fear most and what people thrive for, which is you know, winning and growth and you know, excelling. So I think it's an interesting dynamic because you definitely have the proverbial fight that we face multiple types of fights, but then the actual physical fight. So maybe, you know, as it pertains to your experience, like what are some of those fights that all people face? I think number one is deciding what victory is. 
and it changes. Like I think in competing with someone who's not on your level mentally, physically, spiritually, in terms of character, yeah, you got to get an objective win. In competing with someone who's your peer, is a legend, maybe you're the underdog, being able to compete, win, lose, or draw, and not lose yourself and be someone that you're not, that's a W, you know? So I think number one, establishing what the victory is. I think that's one. Number two is, once again, just telling yourself there's certain things I'm just not going to do at all, which is kind of related to what I said before. But, you know, to win, I'm not in boxing. You would say, I'm not going to hit below the belt. I'm not going to bite an ear off. <laughs> I'm not going to do these things. And if I can't win by following the rules and being authentic to who I am, then I'm just okay not getting the objective win because I need the moral win. So I think name your price and stick to it. I think conflict responding, and then I'm trying to go broad because I think it needs to apply. And that's the last one I'll say is responding to conflict. I think it's everyone's challenge. How do we respond to, we go downstairs from our million dollar, $2 million condo and the doorman is using the restroom and he doesn't come out quick enough to tell you where your mail is. And you like, that's not a real conflict, you know, but how do we handle that? I think it's a challenge. You could set your day off the wrong way by handling it wrong and being rude when they come back. You can turn it into an opportunity to get to know the person a little bit more and let them know like, hey, I'm, I'm late, but could you, you know, like, or you could just move on. And that's like one element. But then like, how do you handle, because those type of conflicts can turn into, you see some of the stuff that we see on these security cameras with celebrities and elevators and the stuff they pull and they get in trouble. It can turn around pretty quick. But then at work, you know, like, you got to lay some people off or you got to hit your numbers, right? And you're a public company and it's quarterly report time. And you can hit your numbers by pushing the top line and making more revenue and more profit. Or you can hit your numbers by laying off people that don't deserve it and laying off people at a time where a year from now, you know, the business is going to suffer. What do you do? Do you keep them on, not hit your numbers and tell the truth to the board? So conflict, how do you handle conflict? And then lastly, just like little things like with the relationship. I believe all great relationships are built on being better on the other side of conflict. And you have to practice from day one with someone that you, you engage with to like figure out how do I get good at resolving conflict with this person? So no matter how much I love them, when it rains, you're going to get wet. Like there's going to be conflict. And can we look at each other at the other side and say, yo, we're stronger. That's not magical. You have to practice at it. And so I think a lot of us like as grow our relationships, grow our lives. And if we can't get good at solving those type of conflicts, we're not going to get anywhere. So I think all these things, like those, those are the things that I think of your response to conflict and how well you are resolving it and being better on the other side of it. That couldn't apply more to boxing and MMA. The only way it could apply more is outside the ring. So It's a fascinating point because there's so much parallel between you know the actual physical sport of fighting and in the business world, because there are a lot of things within an untrained fighter's fight that's mostly instinctive, I would assume. <laughs> And, you know, they don't have necessarily a, a strategy. They, you know, use that kind of animal instinct to survive. But, and then business as well, I often see, at least in my experience, that, you know, the untrained business person, the untrained entrepreneur, the inexperienced entrepreneur is also going to instinctively respond to conflict. And so it's the training around that. So maybe as you, you know, have kind of lived these two parallel lives, you know, the, the fighting life. And then the business life, how have you taken some of your training in the physical fighting life to the business and entrepreneur life? Yeah, I think um, what I learned in the ring is that, well, and this is a thing, like it's kind of the minute the bell rings, there's conflict. Like it's a fight. <laughs> You're in there, you can't hop out. 
unless you're just going to forfeit and no one will want to bite you ever again. So you get in there and it, it happens and you get a hit and you're supposed to say, my plan is not to respond when he wants me to respond. My plan is to make him do what I want him to do. I'm saying him because I'm a man and I fight men, I've never fought women, make him do what I want him to do and then take advantage of those actions. So there's persuasion, there's misdirection, there's all these things involved, but I'm not trying to guess what he's going to do and then respond based on his response. A great coach once told me, don't let his body language change your body language. Hmm. And that comes from having the confidence in your preparation, having the confidence in your strategy, general overall confidence in yourself. And just because somebody does something to you doesn't mean you need to get them back right away. Another, you know, going on that same thread, I learned from one of my dad's sparring partners who he sparred. My dad was a professional fighter and he worked for my dad as a sparring partner in the 80s and 90s and also with me. And he would laugh as he said, you know, everybody I sparred, if I got them with a good shot, they'd get me right back or maybe the next round or maybe the next day. George would get me back two weeks later. <laughs> and so I think in business, there are some people who thrive on getting you off balance in a place where you're uncomfortable and taking advantage of you. That could be, you know, forcing a negotiation to be done in a week when you need two weeks or dragging out a negotiation for nine months. You know, that could have taken two months. You know, they call it deal fatigue. People trying to get you out of your comfort zone and taking advantage of the mistakes you'll make in the, outside of your comfort zone and being patient enough to fight your fight, do things on your terms, not do what people think you're going to do, create opportunities to catch them off guard. All that I get from boxing patience, you know, and the end result is back to my original point, patience, confidence, all these things come from preparation. So I think that that would be the core principle I get from boxing. I'm assuming you, you work with a lot of, you know, non-fighters, those that haven't had necessarily the experience that you've had. Are they able to as quickly develop those attributes and values, or do you see it more challenging? They are. And I think you'll see some parallels. And, you know, there's some people who just, they have a gift, right? You're working hard. It could be they have a good chin. They can take a lot of abuse. They have all these gifts, but you still have to train. What I've done is taught by isolating. So if I need to teach you patience, then you need to be able to get in the ring and have you spar for six rounds and not throw one punch. That means you got to survive while someone's trying to attack you at all times. There's no repercussions for them making a mistake when they attack you, right? You develop your defense, you know? And then we have to say, okay, now you're going to, you have one punch you can throw. And you have to protect yourself with that one punch in your defense. And that builds the confidence to know, like, you only know that you can defend yourself when you're forced to. You only know that you can survive a fight with one hand. Because sometimes you break your hand in the fight if I teach you to. And we drill that. And so I think it's little things like that that force people to, to, to develop those skills. Isolating, putting them in positions where they have no choice but to use the skill that you want them to develop and have confidence in. But in fitness, we use the term, the necessity for technique. And as opposed to teaching someone, it's, oh, you got to do it this way, your form and your back and your arch and your, your hamstring and your gluteus minimus. And like, instead of your gastrox and throwing terms they never heard of, treating them like they're so inadequate every time they try to do a kettlebell swing or squat, we say create the necessity for the proper technique. And I think that goes, I apply that in business and managing employees, et cetera putting them in a position where they have no choice but to use the quality that you're trying to ingrain in and do it over and over and over again. And then it'll become a tool. And that environment, that which is ripe of friction, definitely transforms people. At the same time, 
I've also seen you know individuals back down from a fight. And so the leader and the way in which they are getting a person to experience that, not just you know go to school and get a degree and train, but to actually experience it is paramount. So you as a leader, as you just mentioned, managing other people, training other people, leading, inspiring other people, how do you get them to believe that they're, you know, the fighter in them can win? I think put them in situations that they think are impossible for them to overcome, but that you're sure that they can overcome, but that they would have to struggle to overcome. The simplest example to demonstrate their point is like, even like if I tell a guy, yeah, you got 30 seconds left and this workout's over or a woman I'm training, anyone, and they get to that 30 seconds and they're toast. Give me all you got for 10 seconds. And right at that 30 seconds, I say, give me 10 more. And it's like right at that moment, they're like, okay, I don't know where that came from and I'm about to throw up, but I did it. And I actually was sure I couldn't do it. That's a very layman, like dumbed down example. But I think putting them in situations where, you know, it's like, yo, I need you to program 30 classes for me tomorrow night. And I really know that takes two days, but they do it in one and a half. And you could go deeper with that. But the point is, everybody loves a superhero. And if you watch like Superman, Batman, any of these, you know, comics, et cetera, the equation is very simple. Put the superhero essentially in a situation that's impossible to get out of and somehow they get out of it. Right. And that makes us inspired. And we, you know, we grew up loving these. And I think you, you manufacture those situations for the people under you or the people that you're nurturing or mentoring, or even sometimes the people above you and say, I don't know how you're going to get out of this, but I believe in you. And you know they're going to figure it out. You don't want to set them up to fail over and over. So you have to be careful with what you put in front of them. Give them a little bit more than they think they can bite off and digest and be the person to egg them on to do it. And on the other side of that, you find a person that is just becomes infinitely confident that they can do a little bit more than everyone expects, including themselves. You know, with your different business ventures, this is such an awesome conversation. I'm learning a ton. How have you come to develop your business's culture? What are some of the values you've discovered along the way with both you know, your professional sports career and then getting into the business world, how have you established you know, the vision, culture, the careers of those that come and work for you? Like, Explain that dynamic. Yeah, I think a couple of things. Number one, lead by example. And part of leading by example is when you make a mistake, say you made a mistake and let, make sure everybody knows that you admitted it, you called it out, you went like that. Like, yes, I made a mistake. And that admission of making a mistake did not fix it. And we're sitting in this mistake and it's my fault. Like as a leader, you have to be able to say that. So I think, but it also keeps eyes on you. Even after you make a mistake, it keeps people watching everything else you do that's not a mistake and wanting to emulate it, right? If they know you're, if you have the humility to admit when you're wrong and outside of all the positive things that you do that you want them to emulate, you also need them to admit when they're wrong because if we don't have the truth, we can't fix it. And to me, that's the biggest breakdown of a lot of cultures is, there's so much posturing, people not taking responsibility of their former stakes that nobody even knows why the company's failing or not growing as fast as it should be. So there's no truth. So I think that would be the number one. Lead by example, admit when you're wrong. Number two is hire for character, not for credential. You want, obviously, depending on your business, that you need a base level of skills that you don't want to stop what everybody's doing to teach this person. Like maybe use a computer, can read a Word doc, Excel, maybe can know how to, you know, just like a base level of skills, depending on your business. Construction, obviously, that's different but be willing to teach them to do everything else that you need them to be a master at. And I think if you do that, then you're opening up the ability to hire people that are going to emulate the type of culture you want, communicate the, the way you want, deal with your customers the way you want, handle conflict the way you need to when you're not around, because you can't micromanage and grow. And then the technical stuff, 
you just teach them that as opposed to hiring someone with the credential and technical who destroys the efficiency of the rest of the team because they're, you know what, you know? So I think leading by example, have the ability to teach people the technical skills you need beyond the base, allowing yourself to hire for character. And then the last thing is at which point you're not able to recruit every person by face, make sure that it's only the people that you recruited that you believe in that are recruiting those people. Never let it go a step past that. If you don't recruit the person recruiting, you're going to run into an issue, in my opinion. I have just a few follow-up questions. That so, so from a leadership standpoint, like who do you look to as those iconic leaders in your life that have inspired you to be a leader? You know what? I'll say th- there's like, I grew up in the church reading the Bible, you know, and I'm far from a minister. <laughs> this is not a religious conversation, but just hearing the stories of even throughout the entire Bible, there's different figures that are prophets and they have this ability to speak to the people who only understand very point blank objective, like A plus B. And then at the same time, speak to those people and give them something, but at the same time, be able to speak a step higher to people who understand analogies and concepts. And my point in that is tailoring your communication to meet people where they're at. So I think that I got a lot from like some of the different like figures in the Bible, how they were able to speak in parable and at the same time speak in objectivity or or tactical, very simple language and kind of have two lessons. So I think that's important because everybody communicates differently and you need to be able to communicate across all different communication types, visual, audio, by doing it and letting people watch you do it, by written, by so on and so forth. Number two, I think in that story, you find a lot of the leaders using conflict as an opportunity to teach people what the culture is all about. And so in our business, when it's time to fire somebody (laughs) because they keep going wrong, I love the opportunity to say, hey, is there a restructuring that needs to go? Maybe the person's boss is not having a good month or a good six months. Maybe that boss needs a break and that person under them would actually be happier. Maybe the person needs two weeks off. Maybe, I don't know. But I think using these, these moments of conflict where everybody thinks they know what you're going to do and say, no, 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 no. There might be you know, a plan A, plan B. There might be a plan C in showing people how we do things. Giving someone, like I had a gentleman who's been stealing for like three years. And the third time I said, look, man, the business needs 30%, 70% goes in your pocket. Let's do the math. What's our 30%? Just bring that 30% back and let's just keep it moving. Because he has a family to feed, you know? And at the end of the day, he made a mistake. He stole $1,000. Like we can get past that. And it's horrible to steal. But when they see like even the thief, he said, you want to make it right? We're going to move forward. Life goes on. That's an opportunity to let them know what your culture is about. Not all cultures should be that way. But I think when we're talking about money, I think people deserve a, an opportunity to make it good. Not like millions of dollars where people like lose their houses, but like a few hundred dollars, like let's make good. I think people deserve to be forgiven, you know? So I think using conflict as an opportunity to preach your culture. I think I get that from some of the religious texts. And outside of that, everybody else, you just never know. You see what they do on TV. My dad, I take a lot of inspiration from him. George Conradis, he's the uh, chairman of Akamai, or was, learned a lot from him. He was a former IBM executive. Those are the people that come to mind. Maybe just one last question that I'd love to hear about some of the business ventures you're up to right now, but thanks for sharing that. I know you took a moment to think through that. And I look at how we learn. There are certain people that inspire us and motivate us and touch us. And we ultimately want to emulate them. And I mean, for most people, it, it becomes their parents or religious leader, at least my experience. But thank you for sharing that. 
And then the next, my kind of final question, I was intrigued by your response to hiring people that have character. And I, I love that because I would say the school system, you know, typically teaches kids that their grades and their degree, you know, the different skills that they're learning is where the, the value is and not necessarily in the type of person they are in developing that character, developing skills, developing, uh, you know, their natural gifts. How do you go about hiring someone for character? Like, what do you do different than the, the stereotypical interview? First, I let them walk in the door. <laughs> I try to let them like ask, you know, is there something we can do? Can I work here? You don't always have that benefit. I try to somehow find a way to like identify people within my organization, assuming you've started, that that might be a good fit, you know? So I think that that's a start. You can't, like I said, you can't always do that. In terms of interviewing them, oh, and number two, I like to give projects, kind of like high stress projects for them to start off with. Like, hey, well, well, I'm not sure if there's a fit here, but, you know, we have two month contract, you know, opportunity you can do. And I throw it at them and see how they handle all the mistakes, you know, I mean, not all the mistakes, but all the things that go wrong, you know, say they're, they're supposed to do graphics and they're going to pump out flyers. They don't have high resolution photos for the faces in the flyers. Like, how do they deal with that? Do they say, hey, we need a photographer? Or do they say, well, I can't do it because I don't have the photos. I know that's not my person right away. So I think I, I give these opportunities to see how they handle conflict if possible. I think recommendation for people who put their reputation on the line helps. And then sometimes like you just have to ask questions and people typically will tell you who they are if you listen. I think questions like what's been the toughest fight in your life, the hardest challenge. And, you know, like if they say the hardest challenge was, you know, my mom took away my credit card um, my first year of college and I had to get a job. I'm not saying they're a bad person. They actually might be a fit, but they don't know conflict yet, you know, and so on and so forth. And you know what real conflicts sound like. So I think asking questions like that to understand how they perceive conflict and then also how they resolved it, because that lets me know how they perceive resolving, you know, how they, what they think the right way to resolve conflict, you know? So for instance, if a person has an underperforming employee and they tell me a story about it and I'm like, well, what did you do? Said I put him on probation and made him crawl back. Okay, maybe that's great if we're a financial firm. But in my world, I'd want to hear that he went, took him to lunch and listened. Even if he still fired him, the fact that he knew like the first step is to listen will make a big impact on me in terms of hiring. So those are some of the things I think about. I love that. I love that. Thank you. Thank you. So maybe let's just end with explaining what businesses you're in right now, what you're focused on, and then how our community and listenership can learn about you? Yeah, I think, you know, Everybody Fights is kind of, you know, my baby. I like a lot what's going on in the media world and have a high interest in, in getting into that space. But primary goal for me is to make boxing available to as many people as possible. And because I think it's important for everyone to have one or two transformational experiences in their life. Things like rock climbing, I think is somewhat transformational. It's very transformational, actually. I think training like a boxer for six weeks is transformational. I think learning to meditate and learning to use silence as a response is transformational. I want Everybody Fights to be a part of as many people's boxing experience as possible, whether that's through audio fitness, whether that's through trainer certification, our locations, et cetera. That's my primary goal. And what's the- They can find us at Everybody Fights Everything. That's exactly what I was just going to ask you. And we'll put that on the show notes as well as the social media links as well. 
Well, Monk, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for your time. I love the interview and we'll make sure that we uh, get the word out. Are you uh, coming out West with your gyms yet or uh, is that still in the works? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're close to closing on a location in Orange County. We'll see how that goes. We're working on a deal to open up a number of locations in kind of the mountain time zone. I won't give you specifics because <laughs> I haven't signed the deal yet. And looking at Northern California as well. So we're getting there. That's awesome, man. Well, congrats on your all your success. And we'll make sure we get the word out. All right, man. Thanks a lot. Thanks for your time. Thank you for listening to the Wealth Standard Podcast. Be sure to visit the show's official website, thewealthstandard.com for appropriate disclaimers and terms of service. Guest opinions are their own. If you require specific investing, financial, legal, tax, or any other specialized advice, please consult an appropriate professional. We welcome and appreciate reviews of the show. Head on over to iTunes or Stitcher to leave your review. And don't forget to subscribe to the show to get access to every new episode and exclusive interviews this season. Thanks again for joining us, and we'll see you next time. Whoa.